Hello and welcome to Talking Eds, APN Educational Media's weekly review podcast, comprising the team behind Early Learning Review, Education Review and Campus Review. I'm Patrick Avenal and I'm the news editor for these sites. We have two interesting conferences coming up. In the higher education space, the Campus Review team is holding the High Equity Summit, which will examine the various barriers to equality in higher education. Head to campusreview.com.au and follow the links to Higher Equity Summit. And the Education Review team is preparing the Protect Ed Conference, a look at how technology is changing the education sector and what precautions schools should consider in the digital age. Go to educationreview.com.au and look for Protect Ed. And now, Sesame Street gets steamy, US sports scholarship system intrigues Australian Paralympian, and UQ research encourages sizable exercise increase. And for today's episode of Talking Eds, I'm joined by Lauren Smith from Early Learning Review. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Patrick. And also James Wells. You're the editor of Education Review and Campus Review. How are you going, James? Good. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Part one today, Lauren, we all grew up watching Sesame Street, which was brought to us by letters and numbers. And now some of those letters are being strung into a zeitgeisty acronym. That's right, Patrick. Uh, STEM is old news. It's all about STEAM these days. And Sesame Street has hopped on that bandwagon and they've got a new segment in the show called Elmo the Musical and we're going to take a really quick listen to one of those segments right now. Why are you sticky sticking there? Get up and play. Yup, we need some action. Why not try subtraction? Eight little barnacles, one, two, get their tits. Two jumped off, then there were six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six little barnacles doing what they do. Four jumped off, Doesn't matter if you win or lose. It's how you play the game. Play the game. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The thing to do is to try your best. That should be every athlete's best. Shake your arms fast, then shake them slowly. Come on, everybody, do the guacamole. Quack, quack, guacamole. Guacamole, So Lauren, tell us, what does, what does STEAM stand for? So it's a play on STEM, obviously. So it's science, technology, engineering, arts and mathematics. And it's aimed at teaching the STEM subjects through a creative process, such as music or even fine arts or even the social sciences. It, it has quite a broad application in terms of arts. And it's actually been shown to be quite effective. For example, there was a study on Sesame Street, which is a great vehicle for steam, uh, that showed that in its early days in 1969, it led to improved early educational outcomes for preschool aged children. And this effect was particularly evident in those from disadvantaged backgrounds. So it's clear that steam can be really beneficial for young children. And it's just started to gain some traction in Australia. Not so much in early learning yet. I'm more in primary and high school, but it is, I predict, going to be the next big thing in early learning. And in fact, it's already kind of practiced in early learning through 
um, regular activities like those that involve music or play. I personally think Sesame Street's a fantastic vehicle for speaking to, to younger people because it is so eminently watchable. It's got fantastic characters and it really teaches uh, really, really strong uh, EQ uh, skills about getting on with people, about uh, understanding that people are from different backgrounds, have different skill sets and that we need to you know, take everyone as we meet them and not prejudge people. I grew up with Sesame Street and I think it had a very positive effect on, on, my, on my life. James, did yeah. you watch it? Yeah, I watched it a lot. And uh, what are your thoughts on um, using Sesame Street to push this STEAM me- uh, mentality? Well, I've got no qualms about it. So, and, and I think that gets lost in the, when we just talk about STEM, science, technology, engineering, mathematics. Everyone just forgets about the arts and thinks they're not important. But including the arts in there and showing that they do work together is incredibly important for kids' education and, and, as you said, it teaches them some social skills as well. That's a really good point, James, and that was actually raised by an author called David Rothkopf. He's actually the editor of Foreign Policy, which is a US publication, and he wrote an essay about why STEAM is so important in education, and his main point is that arts are essential to the human experience, so we can't neglect them because that's part of what makes us human. I get the feeling that the the STEM becoming STEAM, it's a bit like the LGBTQI plus acronym. It just keeps getting longer and longer as more people put uh, letters into it. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the next uh, university department to, to push to get their initial into the STEAM acronym will be. I think a Y would work quite well. I'm not Steamy. sure what that would stand for. Yeomanry? Yeomanry. <laughs> Part two, James, the Summer Olympics in Rio is on at the moment, so sport is front of mind for many, many Australians. We've been seeing a lot of sports-led media activations and stories in the education space this week, and you unearthed a really interesting story regarding a US regarding the US sports scholarship systems and how they relate to Australia. Tell us a bit more. Okay, so I chatted to Bridie Keane, who's a former... She's a wheelchair basketball Paralympian. She... Um, she played for Australia at the um, 2008 Beijing Olympics and 2012 London, and she's not she's not um, in this Olympics unfortunately. But right now she's um, coordinating a scholarship scheme at U- University of Sunshine Coast. And she back in when she was at her university days, she was poached for a U.S. sporting scholarship system by the University of Illinois in the U.S. And as we see a lot of our student athletes going over to the U.S., it's something like. Athletics Australia said last year 60 Australian track and field athletes were enrolled at US universities and sports scholarships and there's a and that's just athletics um, that we that Australia needs to set up a system sort of similar to the US where we can support our student athletes and keep the local talent home. I thought this was really interesting because I'm a huge fan of the the US university sports system the the NCAA and uh, I I follow Notre Dame the Fighting Irish and uh, University of California in Berkeley, the Golden Bears, as my two teams. And so I, I would love to see if something similar sort of developed in Australia where we encourage uh, youngsters finishing high school through a scholarship program to go to get a degree, hone their mm-hmm. skills, and, and spread it across not just, you know, what we would call able-bodied, but also Paralympians as well, because or, or uh, uh, disabled athletes, because I think that we need to really expand yeah. our, our skill set with... with um, with the, the broadest amount of uh, people possible. Mm, there is another side to it, though. Um, figures from the NCAA show that 
Well, the figure is that a typical student athlete spends 39 hours a week on academia and 33 hours a week on sport. Yeah, they, they it's, it's, you know, there's a huge pressure on them to perform from mm. a sports system. We're yeah. talking about, I mean, if you've ever watched American football, college football, there's a stadium, 100,000 seat stadiums that are absolutely packed to the rafters. On TV, the highest rating TV programs of the week are often college football games. And then these guys are expected to go away and study for their BA or their MBA in their spare time. It's quite remarkable what these guys balance together. I think that makes quite a lot of sense, actually, considering the amount of money they can earn from being professional athletes as compared to what they would earn just graduating with a general degree like everyone else. So as much as I think that's an issue, I can understand why they devote that much time to it. But a big focus on the US sporting scholarship system is your academia comes first. If you fail, you're out. Yeah, at the start of, I say, a basketball game, they'll, they'll put up who are academically suspended, who aren't make, meeting the grade point average in order to make the, make the starting team. I find it quite a fascinating juxtaposition with Australian sport at university level, which is really, uh, it's about, you know, having fun and uh, do, trying your best. And, you know, there would be ultra competitive people, but you'd never think of putting a university sporting fixture on TV. Mm. And if it, if it were on TV, it'd be on some backwater channel that nobody would care about. It certainly wouldn't be on free-to-wear or a premium cable channel. You'd have to wonder what it does to their mental health, though, all this. I was old... just thinking that. I do not envy them whatsoever. It sounds awful in terms of a stress point of view. Well, there's also, there's also an argument that a lot of the US sports stars are exploited in the college system because they don't get paid. And so the, the universities tend to make a huge amount of money off selling the TV rights to these games. And that's what funds the scholarships. Uh, but the, the, an athlete can play for four years, have an extraordinary college career. The university makes a lot of money out of their career. Then, uh, you know, they do get a degree, but then, you know, their career, they may not get picked up by the pros and they've made no money at all out of their, out of their extraordinary sporting talent. Um, Bridie, when I was talking to her about her experience, she... She says, yes, it was quite stressful at times and a lot of work, but she says she coped with, um, well, sh- good time management skills and a good support network. And that's what, and the support network, network is a big part she wants to bring back here. I'd also encourage everybody at the end of binging on Rio to make sure you keep an eye on for the Paralympic Games that are following. You know, you have to watch the Paralympics in order for the ratings to be strong, in order for money to continue flowing into it. So you really have to... Everyone has a part to play in making the Paralympics the equal of the Olympics. And I think in some ways they're more admirable than the regular Olympians. No, I, th- I find it absolutely incredible the, 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 some of the achievements because I, they're, they're doing things that I couldn't do with every possible uh, advantage in the world. <laughs> I admire their mental resilience most of all. In part three today, we're going to stay on the topic of fitness being Olympics week. And a study by University of Queensland researcher Dr. Leonard Veerman has concluded that Australians need a five-fold increase from the current World Health Organisation exercise recommendation in, in order to significantly ward off a series of chronic illnesses such as heart disease and stroke and also reduce the chances of breast and bowel cancer. Leonard collaborated with researchers from Dartmouth in New Hampshire and the University of Washington in Washington State. And the team found that people should be running six hours per week or briskly walking for 15 hours, which is a sharp incline on the three hours of combined running and walking advised by the World Health Organization. Although the first minutes of activity do most for health, Vimin said, our research suggests 
Activity needs to be several times higher than current World Health Organization recommendations to achieve larger reductions in risks of these diseases. And Vimmer went on to say that a lot of the previous research had shown the benefits of being physically active, but it still did not definitively know what exact types or quantities of activities uh, is effective at reducing uh, the risk of developing common conditions. And these findings piqued my interest because we're living in what I like to call the sedentary century. There's a lot of sitting at desks on our PCs or sitting around watching screens or sitting around on public transport. Technology's advanced so much these days that we are always at risk of being entertained and we don't really need to move that much to get from A to B or to have something delivered to us. In the university setting, we're seeing more students forego walking between lectures and simply tapping into lessons remotely, which is a great thing if you can't make one because of illness or misadventure. But the opportunity cost is receiving some really important exercise. Lauren, James, do you uh, sit around all day or do you like to get out and go for a run? I'm just laughing at the comment <laughs> on the page. <laughs> Read the comment out. Someone by the name of Bas Denleco wrote, My flabbier is flabbergasted. Yeah, so... I'm not sure what he meant by that. I think he, I think he means that, uh, you know, he's sitting there, tapping away. Perhaps he's enjoying a, a soft drink, a, mm. an extra large soft drink from his favourite re- fast food restaurant. And, you know, he's reading an interesting story. And he'll read that story, then he'll move to the next interesting story, and then he'll move to the next one, then he'll watch some YouTube videos. And then at eight hours later, he'll have been sitting down... For, Without getting much, without getting much exercise. Well, sitting is the new smoking. Sitting is the new smoking, and uh, I, I think that as technology just sort of, you know, it's making everything so much easier, which is a great thing. I'm no luddite, but you do need every day to unplug and go outside for an hour for a walk or a run or a, ride a bike, because it's just so easy for it all just to pile up on top of you and then inside you until you burst out into some enormous... It's quite ironic because we're sitting down discussing this. We are sitting down. I should have encouraged us to do a stand-up podcast today. I'm just... um, I don't know how we're expected to have the time to do this exercise when... um, Sorry, uh, Mr. Veerman has said that it has to be brisk walking or running. When do you actually get the time to do 15 hours of brisk walking well, a week? Some interesting ideas that have been floated is getting off, if you catch the bus or the train to work or to, to uni, getting off one stop early and walking uh, the remaining section and then on the way home do the same thing. So just cutting out one stop either side of your commute is, is a, an easy way to add a bit of physical activity to your day. Uh, uh, you know, taking half an hour out to just go walk around the block while listening to your favourite podcast. Hopefully it's talking ads. But these are just some really basic ideas that people have come up with. You know, I don't think... You don't have to run the city to surf or, uh, you know, go swimming 10 laps at the local pool. That's sort of more advanced. It's just about being active every day. I'm intrigued by the treadmill desk. I wonder why that didn't really take off. Maybe How do you well, concentrate while you're running? It's a walking thing, not a running thing. Well, a standing desk I like the idea of because sitting is terrible for you. Mm. It is. Yeah. And but just but it's very comfortable though. It's, it's com- the problem. Uh, it's a lot I love it, but like it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren James, thanks very much for joining me for this episode of Talking Eds. Uh, I hope you're looking forward to the Olympics. One more week to go. Mm-hmm. 
Haven't started watching yet. <laughs> I feel as though I'm the only true sports fan in the, in the Talking Eds team. But uh, to our listeners, thanks very much for joining us and uh, see you next week. See ya. Thank you.